I'm going to ask you to stand because I uh, just want to stand in honor of reading the word this morning, if you would, please. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, my text verse is out of 2 Peter 1, and uh, the verses are 8 and 9. But before those verses, I've got to kind of qualify what he says here in my text verse. Uh, 2 Peter, he's talking about Christian living and what it means to, to live as a follower of Jesus. And he, he talks about uh, the fact that he, we have to make every effort to add to our faith in our life. That we start with the foundation of faith and that we make effort to add to that. He says that we add goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love that we are to make every effort to add those things to our faith. And then he goes on to say, which is my text verse for today in uh, 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me stop there for just a second. He's telling us that it is not enough to just have knowledge of Jesus. That it's very important that we are not unproductive and ineffective in our knowledge of Jesus. So there is something that comes along with having that faith that is expected of us. And he goes on to say, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Does anybody feel like in this season we're in today, it's very easy to be nearsighted and even blind to some degree and forget God's faithfulness in our life. I think it's very easy right now to fall into that. It's a challenge right now. The title of my message today is called 2020 Revision. And yes, that is an intentional, clever way of not saying 2020 vision, but revision. And I'm gonna explain that in a minute. But would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you today. And you're so good. Thank you for this sweet time of worship. We can come together and just worship, sing praise to your name. Father, I thank you today that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I believe it's going to do its work in our hearts today. I pray that my words would be your words and that you would seal all of your work that you're doing today in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And we promise to give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You can be seated. So how many of you know 2020 was supposed to be the year of vision? You know, uh, late last year and early this year even, man, the, the taglines, the slogans, the graphics, all were about 2020 vision. And it was just perfect. The stars were aligning that corporations and churches and everybody was talking about perfect vision, that the vision was going to be clear for 2020. You know, 2019 was so-so, but 2020 is just going to be perfect. And then 2020 happened, <laughs> and it's been anything but perfect. In fact, a lot of people just want 2020 to just go away, right? It didn't line up as perfectly as we thought it might. But I'm, I'm here to tell you today that I am actually very excited about 2020. And it may sound crazy, and I know I, I talked a little bit about this last week, but I believe that God is in what is happening right now. I believe it with all my heart. I will die on that mountain. I cannot be swayed from that. No matter what I've heard, no matter what I've seen in the news, no matter what I see on social media, no matter what people say to me, my resolve has not changed one iota. God is in this season. He is in it. Amen? And I know some of you are thinking, well, if he's in it, he's sleeping in it. Because he's not doing what we want him to do, right? Well, how many of you know God doesn't necessarily do what we want him to do? He's got a plan. He's got a plan. Do you believe that God has a plan? He's not taken off guard, right? He's got a plan. And I am so resolved in it that I'm actually excited about this year. Not about what's happening right now. I'm not minimizing the fact that there's a lot of people suffering. There's a lot of people that have died. There's a lot of people that have gone through a lot of things this year. Whether it has to do with the virus, whether it has to do with the social unrest, the rioting, the racial unrest, whatever it is, there's a lot of suffering. And I am not minimizing that by any means. But when you know in your heart that God is in something, it, it doesn't matter what we're going through. We know that we're going to come out on the other side. We know that if God is in it, if he's working, his plan for us is always for our good. His plan is always to bring good out of every situation in our life. You know, somebody said one time, you don't, you don't care who's flying the plane until you hit turbulence. Then you want to know that this dude is a pro, right? 
Well, we're in some turbulence right now. So I know for me, it is comforting to know that my God is flying the plane. That I'm a, I'm a passenger on this plane and I'm with him. I'm found in him, in his plane. And so I can trust that. You know, towards the end of last year, I believe it was, 2019, before any of this stuff had even thought about starting to be an issue, the Lord spoke to Joy and I very clearly one day. It was actually here during a Saturday morning prayer that the Lord spoke to us. We felt like he gave us a word, and he said that there was a storm coming, but that it was going to be okay, and that he was in it, and that we could trust him, and he was going to bring us all through it. Amen. And, you know, in our naivete, and our own, you know, thinking everything's about us, we had our own interpretation of what that meant. Because, you know, we knew we were about to transition in the church and, you know, transitioning leadership in this church, following a man that has a 45-year tenure is no small task. And we knew that it was going to be a storm to some degree. And so we were looking at it more in that line. But as we've gotten into this season, I've looked back and I've realized God was talking about this. He was talking about what this world is going through. And he said this season is going to, it's not going to be forever. It's going to last for a season and it's going to be over and you're going to be better for it. And so because of that, I am excited about what we're in because I know that God is shaking us. He is doing something and he has a plan. And frankly, I don't feel like the church or even me personally that I've been at a place where I am content or comfortable. I want to be challenged. I want to grow. I want God to shake me because there's still way too much of me in my life. I can tell you that. You know, John the Baptist said that I have to decrease. He has to increase. When I pray that, I always, man, I think of all the things that in me that need to decrease, because there's a lot of them still. But God is good, and he's faithful, and I'm excited about this year. Now, I will say, we do have to revision how we're looking at 2020, because it's not turning out like any of us thought this perfect, crystal clear 2020 vision was going to happen. I mean, we had a dream team night early this year, and it was all about 2020 vision. If you were here that night, all our graphics had eyeballs all over it, and it was really cool. We had stickers, and and um, it didn't turn out like we thought. We're having to revision or revise what we thought. But that's okay. How many you know sometimes the best thing that can happen in life is to have a, a revision, have things revived or revised, I should say. Even in society, marketing, products that we purchase, things that we do. You know, how many know the TV today is a lot better than TV was 30 years ago? I remember when I was a kid, which wasn't that all that long ago, I remember turning on the TV on Saturday morning to watch cartoons, and after I turned it on, I could go make some toast and a bowl of cereal and bring it back, and just then the TV was probably turning on. You know, I guess the tube had to warm up. I don't even know what that means, but the TV didn't come on immediately like it does now. We made a lot of advances. Now the TVs are, you know, so big you can't fit them in a car, you have to get a van to bring them home, right? How about drive throughs Man, am I thankful that companies decided, hey, let's make it so people don't even have to come in. They can just drive right through. I, they even got those in uh, uh, funeral homes have drive-throughs now in some places. I think we're probably taking it a little too far doing that, but drive-throughs are a good thing. We like to perpetuate the laziness of the American people. Amen. Um, I'm all for them. I like it. Sometimes we need to have things revised in life, and we as Christians are not exempt to that. We are not exempt at all, even in how we approach our faith. Sometimes we need God to shake us and revise what we think our vision is because sometimes our vision can be too self-focused, self-glorifying, self-justifying, and all about us. And so if God has to help us to have a different perspective, we should be okay with that. Even in the church, we're having to revision what we're doing this year. Now, that doesn't mean the message has changed. The message is exactly the same. The message of the cross will never change. The message of the cross is the same as it was 2,000 years ago. The power of the blood of the cross of Jesus is just as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. That message never will change. There is joy unspeakable that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus when he lives in us, right? So the message will be consistent forever. But sometimes the way we have to approach it is going to change. A lot of churches that never did online church before are having to do online church now. That's a good thing. We're reaching more people. We're having people that can see the message, see the gospel, hear the gospel. And so we're having to revise some things, and we need to be okay with that. You know, last week I talked about the fact that God has a standard of living for us, right? That there's a standard of holiness for our lives, and that we as a church need to wake up. And you responded very, very well to that. In fact, I was a little nervous to even bring that message. I wouldn't say nervous. I, I knew it was going to be a, uh, a hard-hitting word. And the response that I got this week was overwhelming. And so I know that New Hope wants to be challenged. 
I know that we want to see God moving in our lives. That we're okay with being called on our sin because we know that that just makes us better. And so, but we as a church, we need to continue in that. That, that wasn't a one-week thing. That's like, okay, we did that last week. Now let's move on from that. That's, that's got to be continuous in our life. And if God will continue to do that in our life, and if, he, and if we get through this season, we can be a church that's, that's more dedicated to him, more devoted to him, more selfless, more outward-focused, more effective and productive, as my text verse says, for his kingdom. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. And because of that, we can be happy in this season. We can be joyful. We can be, have joy unspeakable. And, you know, I, I ended my message last week with challenging us that the way that we run the race that's described in Hebrews 12 is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's all about where our eyes are, where we're looking. We're talking more about that today, about vision, about having perspective, about seeing what God is doing in the midst of a tough time. Second Peter, this, chap, this, this uh, book of the Bible tells us that if we don't make every effort to possess those qualities I mentioned, that we will become nearsighted, blind, and forgetful. You know, the Bible constantly reminds us of the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Constantly. When you hear Peter say, you know, you need to make every effort to add to all these things to your faith, it can be very easy to sit there and think, man, how am I going to do that? I mean, he mentions all these things. How am I going to do even one of them, let alone all of them? He challenges us in that. Have you ever felt like the system is rigged against you when it comes to trying to live out the word of God, live out this life of faith that God has put us in? Or do you feel like maybe the system's even rigged against you in, in general, in society? You know, maybe in school you feel like the system's rigged. Or in your workplace, you know, maybe you're constantly being overlooked or underpaid. You know, financially the system's rigged against you. You know, you're never gonna, I'm never going to get out of debt. I'm just going to constantly be a slave to my debt. Maybe you feel racially like the system is rigged against you. Some of that have felt that very strongly this year. One way or another, all of us have felt like the system, to some degree, is rigged against us. The, stat, the deck is stacked against us, and especially morally, because we know what the Word of God says. We know that there's a lot that is expected of us, and even that verse I read in Peter shows us that there is a lot expected of us. How am I supposed to live that way for God when I can barely keep my head above water, when I'm just trying to get through the day? And I can tell you today that if you want to live by God's standard, the deck is stacked against you if you try to do it on your own. It's completely stacked against you. But see, this is the thing. The beauty of my text verse that I read is that there's actually a pretext to that that kind of goes with my text verse. It's the verses before the verses I read. And Peter gives us the how in these verses. And I'm going to read these. They're in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 4. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need. Everyone say, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. There he is again talking about our knowledge of Christ. So his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Anyone want the divine nature in your life? And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So Peter, go, he's telling us here that there is corruption in this world. That it, the deck is sacked against us because of our evil desires. But he gives us the answer here to beating the system. He says to allow God's divine power to give us divine nature. Literally to change our nature. You see, we're not meant to do this on our own. If you want to do it on your own, you'll fail. We're meant to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. That is the key in all of this, in all of our life, is to operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit more than ever. Yes. Well, I shouldn't say we need him more than ever. We recognize our need more for him more than ever because of everything that's going on. And you know, there's a difference. Now listen to me here, church. There's a difference between being filled with the Spirit and walking in the power of the Spirit. There is a difference. And oftentimes we can lump them together and think they're the same thing, but they're not. 
This week, uh, Joy and I had this incredible privilege of going to this conference, uh, more of a seminar, the Church of God did for uh, pastors in North Georgia. And we went, and they brought in Daniel Kalenda, which if you don't know him, he's the man that took over for Reinhard Bonnke a couple years ago. And Reinhard, you know, he just passed away last year. And uh, incredible evangelist, did uh, crusades in Africa for uh, decades. 79 million salvations in his ministry. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And uh, th- he handed off the, the, the reins to Daniel Kalenda a couple years ago. Young guy, he's not even 40 yet. But my goodness, can he preach? And did he come in and challenge all of us pastors? And it was a phenomenal message. And he talked about how much we need the power of the Holy Spirit in this season. And it needs to be evident in the church. And he said, he said you know, there's a difference between the, the filling of the Spirit and walking in the power of it. And he said, you even see it with Jesus. And he had my attention when he said this, because I would never noticed this before. But he was right, because I looked it up. In Luke, where it talks about Jesus got baptized, in the Jordan, John the Baptist baptized Jesus, says the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, okay? That was when he was filled with the Spirit. In fact, it says that full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was taken into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. So he gets baptized, filled with the Spirit, goes into a wilderness season, okay? The very next verse after the devil left him and the angels attended him, the very next verse says, Jesus went back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So at the front end, it says he was filled with the Spirit, led into the wilderness. After that, he, was, he went into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And that's when his ministry started. And that's when he started seeing people healed and doing all his stuff and everything that we see in the Gospels. So even for Jesus, there was a difference between being filled and walking in the power. And you know the difference was? The wilderness. That wilderness is what brought him through and gave him the power of the Holy Spirit. We are in a wilderness right now. So the way I interpret that, and I don't believe I'm doing any violence to the scripture because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's no respecter of persons, that when we, he puts us in a wilderness, there's a purpose behind it, that if we will come through it, we will see him walk, we will be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just filled with the Spirit. Amen? That's, I'm telling you, that's praiseworthy. That's exciting, because I tell you, I know lots and lots of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit that are walking around defeated. All day, every day. Some of the most defeated people are Pentecostals. I know it's getting real quiet in here now. But I'm telling you, I've seen it all day. All day. And we struggle. I mean, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's times that, that I find myself struggling with being defeated. But that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to walk in his power. But as we walk through this wilderness, guys, we can trust him. We can trust him. His power can be evident in us as we walk through this victoriously. That's God's plan for us. He is shaking us and causing us to look at what it, lives, what it looks like to live in this world in his power. And you know, when it comes to living in this world, when it comes to having vision in your life, one of the biggest flaws we can have with our vision is to be nearsighted. That's what Peter says here. When you, when you, you become ineffective and unproductive, you become nearsighted. When we talk about being nearsighted, it's not like the, the literal, you know, being nearsighted with your eyes. It's living a lifestyle of being nearsighted. Wherever, what matters to you, what's the highest priority in your life is what's right in front of you. And that is a huge, huge enemy to us living our life with real vision, the vision God wants us to have. Yet it is something that we struggle with in epidemic proportions. Society completely has given over to it. Everything in society, everything in marketing is about right now. It's about right now, what can, you, what can we do for you now? How can we get you in our store today to give us some of your money? How can we get your attention? How can we do what we need to do to get you now? So much so that, you know, Dave Ramsey, his ministry, it's a business, but it's also a ministry, Financial Peace University. His, his, one of his mantras is live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. Because nobody wants to actually save money and be out of debt and be able to live with freedom from that debt. It's so foreign to so many people that he's saying, if you do this, you'll be living like nobody else. Then eventually you'll be able to really live like nobody else. Because that's not what our society wants. We, in society, we want it now. We want it now. Same day financing. Oh, I can get this, no money down. 20 year loan on a car now. I mean, good Lord. It's like, used to be four years, then it's five, then it's six. I think you can get seven years now on a car loan. I mean, whatever they gotta do to get you to get in it right now, right now. Everybody's nearsighted. Politicians know it. 
You have a bad day politically? Your advisor will just tell you, just hang out, hang on. This 24-hour news cycle, by tomorrow they won't even be talking about this. It's no big deal. Just, it's fine. Something else will come up tomorrow that everybody will forget about this. It'll be yesterday's news. You know, I was thinking when I was preparing this, I was thinking about stuff that just doesn't even matter anymore that was going to destroy the world, you know, a couple months ago. Murder hornets, remember them? It was like, oh my gosh, they're going to kill every bee and we're not going to have honey or flowers and we're all going to die. And it was this whole horrible thing. I haven't heard about murder, murder hornets in months. Did they all, I don't know, did they all die or somebody know more about it than me? But, you know, it's 24 hours, two days, three days, and it's gone because we're so nearsighted. And it works, to, it works against us spiritually when we're nearsighted because that's not God's heart for us. Because there's things that we do when we're nearsighted that actually cause issues in our life. And I want to give you four things, four dangers of nearsightedness in life. And the first one is that when we're nearsighted, we forget God's faithfulness. If you're always looking for what's right there in front of you, what's next, you're not thinking about what's behind, what God has done to be faithful in your life. That verse I read, it says that you will forget that you have been cleansed from your past sins. We'll become nearsighted. We'll forget the fact that God has been good to us, church. The fact that you're here today, God has been good to you. He has been good. He has been faithful. There's never a moment that he was not faithful. That song we sang says, I'm not enough unless you come. Would you meet me again? Like, we're not enough without him. But he has been so, so good to us. In the midst of a pandemic, he has been good to us. And it's so important that we remember his faithfulness in our life. I've said this many times, but Joy and I at times when we've really been struggling and, and stressed out about whatever it is, we will just sit down and talk about God's faithfulness. Like, let's talk about what God's done in our life and remind ourselves. Remember when God did this? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That's amazing. Remember when God did this? Remember God did this? Remember that time we thought there was no way and God made a way? And you start to feel your, your spirit get stirred up. You start to feel like, oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, <laughs> he really is pretty awesome. It's not just lip service. He actually is. It's important that we remember his faithfulness. It's therapeutic in our life. But you know, if we forget his faithfulness, Sometimes what it'll cause us to do is it'll cause us to rebuild things that he has torn down. You know, in this season, there's some things that have died. And some of those things, and I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about things in life that have died. There may be things in your life that you've seen that have kind of been torn down during this season. Some of those things we need to pray they'll be resurrected. Maybe in the midst of this season or after the season's over, there might be things we need God to bring back to life for us. But you know what? There are some things that have died that need to stay dead. Some things that God is saying, I, I killed this, and it needs to stay there. You need to leave it there. Don't try to pick it back up. That's why that, that verse in Hebrews that I was talking about last week, it says, throw off everything that hinders us. Throw off, cast aside those things that hinder us. If God's telling you to get rid of it, he doesn't want you to pick it back up. He wants it destroyed. And when I was thinking about that this week, I thought about the story of Ahab. You know, uh, he was one of the most evil kings of Israel. He's best known for being married to Jezebel who was the queen, and she was even more evil than him. But you know, when the Israelites first came into the promised land, Joshua brought them into the promised land, the first city they came to was the city of Jericho, right? This great walled city that was impenetrable, you know. It was no way the children of Israel could have torn it down or defeated it or taken it over without God's help. So God says, I want you to go in and walk around the gate, the, the, the city once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, walk around it seven times. They did it, they shouted, the walls fell, they went in put everybody and every animal in the city to the sword, burnt the city to the ground, completely destroyed it. That's what God wanted them to do. And Joshua says when they destroyed it, Joshua said, cursed is any man who ever rebuilds this city because God's the one that tore this city down. So no one was supposed to ever rebuild it. Well, hundreds of years later, here comes Ahab. And he decides he's going to rebuild it. You may not even recognize this or remember this, because it's not really talked about much, but he had a guy rebuild it. And, you know, the funny thing is Joshua said, cursed is anyone who rebuilds a city. It'll be um, basically the foundation of this city. You'll be building it on your kids. Basically, your kids will die if you, whoever takes this endeavor on. Well, the guy that Ahab had rebuild the city of Jericho, his kids died. So they paid the ultimate price for rebuilding this city that God tore down on purpose. And we see why Ahab did it was because he was short-sighted, because he was all about himself. In fact, look at this verse, talks about Ahab in 1 Kings 16, verse 30 and 31. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, 
did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit sins, the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. That verse literally says that he considered it trivial to commit sins because he was all about himself. He was all about doing what felt good in the moment, what he wanted. He saw that land there in Jericho. And he thought, hey, let's rebuild this. And because of it, he paid the ultimate price too because him and Jezebel were both killed. God took them out because of their nearsightedness. This forgetting God's faithfulness is one of the biggest reasons that we struggle with sin because we forget how good he's been to us and we get so focused on the here and the now. And God would say, I have bigger plans than the here and now. Have a bigger perspective for your life. The second danger of nearsightedness is giving in to cravings. This is a, this is a struggle for us, for human beings. Cravings are powerful, aren't they? It's almost more fun to eat something that we crave than to eat when we're hungry. We prove it all the time. <laughs> Because there's times we get that dessert when we're already stuffed, but somehow or another we figure out a way to get it in there, even if it hurts, because we crave that sweet. I need that sweet, you know? I had a friend of mine that um, she always had to have dessert after her meal, and for years she claimed that she had an extra stomach just for dessert. I guess some kind of mutation, I don't know, but uh, she did figure out a way to always get dessert in there somehow. But, you know, appetizers in restaurants, I always chuckle when I think about appetizers because they are designed to uh, uh, exploit our cravings, to be unwilling to wait for our meal, which we know our meal is going to be plenty of food, but you know those, those appetizers just look too good. And no one's ever come to the end of a meal and looked at their bill and said, man, I'm really glad we got those mozzarella sticks. No one. You know, it's always like, my gosh, I ate those and I couldn't even eat my meal. You end up taking your whole meal home. It's designed to get those cravings. And when we feed those cravings, obviously in a restaurant, I'm talking, that's something very trivial. But when we do it in life, it can be a much bigger deal. Our cravings can cause all kinds of problems in our life if we give in to those cravings. You know, I remember um, when my kids were just very, very little, and one of them in particular, I won't say her name, but when Kenzie was just a toddler, <laughs> we were at a Zaxby's one day, and we ordered our food, and we sat down at a table, and she's in a little height chair, she's sitting there, and uh, we put a pool of ketchup on her plate there waiting for the food to come the fries and and uh, we're just sitting there talking all of a sudden I, I watch her and I see her put her finger in her ketchup and and eat it and I said Kenzie don't do that and of course she did it again and I said okay I said that's the last time I said don't do it again you will regret it and she's a little bit strong-willed when she was young and by a little I mean a lot and so she just looked at me dead in the eye and went and I saw red after that. Um, I snatched her up. We went outside, and, and uh, I'm not going to say what I did, but when I came back, she was upset at the very least. So she, she paid the price for giving in to her craving of wanting that ketchup and not waiting for the French fries. Church, I'm telling you today, wait for the French fries, okay? Let's not give in to our cravings. Numbers 11 talks about the Israelites... I'm sorry, the whole book of Numbers talks about their journey in the wilderness, the 40 years, okay? And so in Numbers 11, it talks about the fact that the Israelites started to get, uh, they started to complain about the fact that all they had was manna in the mornings. They said, oh, all we get is this stinking manna every day. What if we could just have some meat? When we were in Egypt, we had meat to eat. Oh, and by the way, you were slaves too. Do you remember that? But they were complaining and they went to Moses and Moses goes to God and says, and Moses is just throwing his hands up at this point. He's like, these people are impossible. And God says, fine, whatever, I'll give them meat. But God was ticked off because he gave them quail and they went out and they got all this quail. All the Israelites went out and got their quail and brought it in to their tents. Look what it says in Numbers 11, 33 and 34. It says, but while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hatava. There they buried the people who had craved other food. That name, Kibroth Hatava, literally means graves of craving. 
These people were craving meat. God gave them their meat, and then he judged them for it. Now, anybody happy that we're in the new covenant, not the old one? Amen, Amen to that. <laughs> they paid the price for giving in to their craving and complaining. And that is not God's heart for us, that we would give in to those cravings. Cravings are usually not what's best in the moment. The cravings are almost always from the flesh, just wanting to be appeased right away. You know, giving into your, satisfying your cravings will never make you financially independent. Might get you a nice car, but it's not going to make you financially independent. A toned body never comes from satisfying your cravings, right? Cravings usually work against us and not helping us. We have to resist giving into our cravings. But if we're nearsighted and only about right now, what we do is we give into those cravings constantly and they end up hurting us and working against us in our life. The third one is that we put a high priority on comfort. And this is a, uh, this is a big one for us. Comfort is a big, big deal. I know I've been talking about the Western gospel a lot and, and please know my heart, I don't mean to, to rip on the, the, the gospel the way America or the Western world has, has advanced the gospel. There's a lot of the gospel being preached and it's wonderful, but there is aspects of the gospel in, a, in the, the Western society that have done as much to hurt us sometimes as they have to help us. There's such a focus on comfort in the Western gospel, the gospel that we hear preached so often that it's actually a hindrance. Now you might say, well, what's wrong with comfort? Nothing is wrong with comfort. Nothing at all. I, in the summertime in Georgia, I literally, at least three times a day, out loud, thank Jesus for air conditioning. At least three times a day. I mean, I am so thankful. Every night I get into bed, it, the bed's nice and cool and the room's cool. We got the fan going, the air's on. I just, I genuinely, from my heart, say thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you so much that my fingers aren't sticking together and it's nice and comfortable. There's nothing wrong with wanting comfort unless it takes priority over being productive and effective for the gospel. When it takes priority, it becomes a sin. Anything can become a sin, you know, even comfort. If we make it a priority over the kingdom of God. And comfort is paramount when we are nearsighted because all that matters is the right now. All that matters is how I feel in this moment and how I'm going to feel looking forward. Because the flesh is programmed for comfort. Our flesh, is, we're self-preserving. That's innate in all of us. And so obviously we're going to be looking to make ourselves comfortable. And so we have to reprogram or deprogram ourselves spiritually so that we are not just looking to be comfortable all the time. Because here's the thing, church. Focusing on being comfortable, what it does is it takes away your purpose in life. It will, it will cause you not to know your purpose because when your purpose is to be comfortable, what happens is you spend your energy and your time on making sure you have what you need and you get up, you go to work, you come home, you spend some time at home, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, you do it all over again. And it just becomes this cycle. Everything is just about making sure my bills are paid and I'm comfortable and I'm content and I've got what I need. And all those things aren't bad. But when that becomes your focus, when it becomes paramount in your life that I'm focused on making sure I'm comfortable financially, physically, relationally, my stomach feels good, everything. If that's your focus and it's paramount, you're, you, you, don't, you lose purpose in life. If you feel like you're aimlessly going through life, you feel like, man, I just don't feel like I have purpose. The days are just mundane. I'm just going through the motions. I'm doing it over and over again. You're probably too focused on comfort because that's what it does. It, it, it squashes the purpose. It dilutes your purpose in your life and causes you to just be focused on comfort. Maybe you're feeling this today. Uh, we've all been there. If you're not there today, you have been there or you will be there in the future. You see, there's a reason that a major part of the message of a lot of the large ministries that you'll see is about comfort. Because even in ministry, they know, we know that people wanna feel comfortable. And so we can kind of cater the message to make people feel comfortable. And what happens is people are drawn to that. And so churches will really see a lot of fruit from that in the person of seeing butts in the seats and people watching their videos. And again, I, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. I'm not saying that big, I'm not against big churches, okay? But I'm saying I've seen enough of it to see that sometimes the message is too much about comfort. 
how you can be a Christian but still be really, really comfortable. But what we do when we do that is we're building, we're not building the kingdom of God, we're building the kingdoms of these churches. We're building the kingdoms of earth, of this world, when we're focused on the comfort. When in reality, building the kingdom of God is not about making people feel super comfortable. Jesus said, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That doesn't sound like comfortable to me. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But you can take heart because I've overcome the world. We know from history that 11 of the 12 original disciples of Jesus died a martyr's death. That doesn't sound comfortable to me. And they love Jesus a lot more than we did probably. But we can take it and make it all about comfort. And we miss the message of the gospel. And we miss what God has for us. We become so nearsighted because all we care about is trying to be comfortable. But oh, by the way, I want to be a Christian too. I want to make sure I don't go to hell when I die. I want to make, I want to love Jesus. But as soon as Jesus starts pricking your heart a little bit and getting you out of your comfort zone. I don't know if I like that. I don't want to hear that part. I don't want to go listen to that preacher anymore. He makes me feel bad about myself. You know, and that's not the plan, but we don't need to focus on comfort, especially spiritually. We're not meant to be spiritually comfortable. We're meant to get out of our comfort zones because that is when the gospel is advanced. And that is when we feel purpose in our own life too, when we approach our life that way. You know, living comfortably actually really drives fear and anxiety and worry in our life. When we, when we seek to live with comfort, it really exasperates that in our life. You know, I had the, I've had the privilege of meeting and knowing, spending time with many missionaries, some of them long-term, lifelong, that have given up their life in this beautiful, comfortable country to go live in the Middle East or Africa or Asia, somewhere, and devoted their life to it. And you know what? I don't know that I've ever met one that really struggles with fear and worry. And it's not because people that just don't generally struggle with that are more drawn to missions. It's that the people that, are, that go into missions have decided, I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down my life. Whatever happens to me while on the field, praise God. Because for them, they know it's a win-win. It's a win-win. I get to share the gospel. If something happens to me, I get to go be with Jesus. They have determined in their heart, they're laying down their life, their life is not their own, and I'm gonna live my life in this way where I'm completely devoted to the Lord. I'm not going to live to be comfortable. And because of that, the fear doesn't really have a place because fear is always about us. It's always about protecting us in our comfort, right? You know who really struggles with fear and worry when it comes to missionaries? The missionaries' families that are at home because oftentimes they're not as committed and they don't understand why somebody would risk their life to go live in Algeria or in the Sudan or in China or in these places where you're taking your life in your hand by being a Christian. And so they're the ones actually worrying. But when you've actually made up your mind, you've set that, laid down your life and you said, my life is not my own. My life is yours, Jesus. You can do whatever you want with it. Missionaries, they know it's a win-win. So they don't, they don't struggle with that, but it's because they're not fixated making comfort the top priority in their life. And if we do that, if we will not make comfort the highest priority, it'll help us to keep us from being nearsighted in our faith. Okay. And finally, the last one, the last danger that I want to share today is apathy towards the lost. If we are nearsighted, we will absolutely be apathetic towards the lost. Last, last week I shared the mission of New Hope, put it up on the screen. It's to reach those far from God and to lead people into their next step of a God first life. Two pronged. Reach people far from God, lead people to their next step. People that are unsaved, people that are saved. The number one mission goal of this church is to reach people far from God. That's number one. It's absolutely number one. If you're part of New Hope and you're gonna to continue to be part of New Hope, as long as Joy and I are leading this church, our number one goal will be to reach people far from God. I feel like it should be the goal, number one goal of every church, but who am I to say what other churches should do? But that is what breaks our heart, is knowing that there are so many people out there that are right outside our door that have no idea of the love of Jesus, that have never been washed by the blood of the Lamb. That is our number one goal. And when I shared that last week, and you know, I said sometimes we can, our heart doesn't break for the lost. And we need to pray that, that God would break our heart for the things that break his. 
And maybe you, maybe you thought, maybe you thought, yeah, you know, my heart doesn't break for the lost. I want people to get saved, but it's not something I put a lot of emphasis on or a lot of focus on or give a whole lot of attention to. I would suggest today, and I don't say this to beat you up, but I would suggest that you are nearsighted. You are doing exactly what Peter said not to do. Because when we are so focused on ourselves, we're so focused on getting things done that we need to get done, and our day is hit the floor running in the morning, your feet hit the floor from the bed, and you're off, and you don't slow down until you get back in bed at night, that is not God's heart for us. Because that is always, when we're like that, it's, it's usually about us. And, and not just like you, but it's about you, your family, you're taking care of you and yours, circling the wagons, doing whatever you need to do to make sure your family's taken care of. Should we take care of our families? Of course. But we've got to make sure we got margin in our life so that we have room to be sympathetic, not apathetic, towards the lost. That our heart, that we would see Jesus' heart in our life, that his heart would become our heart. That our heart would break for those that don't know him as their Lord and Savior. And the only way to not be apathetic about the lost is to have an eternal perspective. It's the only way. Because there's nothing, there's nothing in our flesh that really necessarily cares if people are lost. It's not in our flesh. It's in our spirit. Our spirit man is concerned. But we have to have an eternal perspective to really have a heart for the lost. Because at the end of the day, if we don't really think about heaven and hell... And the fact that there is a lot more to this life than these 60, 70, 80 years we get here, then they're not going to care. But you and I know, if we're followers of Jesus, we know that the best this world has to offer is nothing compared to what eternity is. Absolutely nothing. The Bible says that our life is like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. I mean, I feel like yesterday I was a teenager. It's just so fast how time goes. There's so little that this earth has to offer us. And I've said this before too, but being in this pandemic, if anything for us as Christians should make us see that there is nothing this world has to offer that we can put our hope in. Nothing. Everything's being broken down. Everything is being stripped away. Everything. The things we love, the things we care about, so much of it you can't even consider it because of a, of a little virus that started in China. I mean, th this world is built on toothpicks. The best day we could ever have in this world isn't even close to what it's going to be like in eternity. And we can get, if we're short-sighted, nearsighted, we're focused on today. Whoa, what's it like today? What do we got going on today? When in reality, we should be thinking a lot more about eternity because it'll give us a heart for the lost. The Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, he said, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. That is a powerful, powerful verse. If our hope in Christ is just to make this life better, Paul says <laughs> everybody needs to feel sorry for us because they know what it's about. He said it isn't about having hope for, in Christ for this life. Now, does he help us in this life? Of course. But it's such, a, it's such a blip on the radar compared to what eternity is going to be like. But we can get so focused on today. Colossians 1 tells us to set our minds on things above. Set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. To always be setting our minds on the things that are above. Church, we cannot afford to be apathetic towards the lost. We cannot afford it. This is not some thing I'm going to mention occasionally about having a heart for the lost. I, I, I don't think I'll make it through a week or two without talking about people getting saved because that is what makes my heart beat. That is why I got into ministry, not to make us all just feel better about being Christians, but that we would be empowered in this place to go. This is the huddle for us to come together to get the play so that we can go out the next six days and do it. And be his hands and feet. Be his vessels. Be what he needs us to be. We are what he chooses to use to reach the people that don't know him. We are the ones. Somebody preached the gospel to you. Might have been a parent. Might have been a sibling. Might have been a friend. Somebody shared the gospel with you. And we have that responsibility. It is not about our kingdom. It's about his kingdom. You want to know the heart of God? The disciples came to Jesus and said, Teach us how to pray. The first thing he said was, you need to worship. 
He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Honored, worshiped be your name. And right after worship, he says, your kingdom come. You want to pray the heart of Jesus? He says, you pray that my kingdom would come, that my will would be done. That's what he cares about, that his kingdom would come on this earth just as it is in heaven. How's his kingdom going to come on this earth? Through you and me. That's how his kingdom's going to come. It's not us just praying that his kingdom would come and then we sit back and hope he does something miraculous and speaks to somebody in their dream and they get saved in their dreams. Sometimes that happens. But he's using you and me. We are meant to be his kingdom here on earth. We share his kingdom. That our heart would break for the lost. We need to stop spending 90% of our prayer time on ourselves. You know what my prayer time has been during this pandemic? It's basically worship. It's basically worship. Because nobody but nobody but nobody knows how to pray through this pandemic. Nobody. Uh, Daniel Kalendo was telling us he sat down with a group of a panel of Christian prophets and he was talking to them and he said, my first question to these prophets was, where were you five months ago? None of you said anything about this thing coming. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody knows what's happening. Nobody. Is it going to get worse? Is it going to peak in November and then get better? Is it going to get better next week? Nobody knows. So I don't even know how to pray except to pray, oh God, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come through me. Let your will be done in my life and in this earth as it is in heaven. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. I want his kingdom to come. I don't know. I don't care how it happens. I just want it to happen. And I'm, I'm saying, God, I'm here for you to use me any way you want. However you want to use me, I'm yours. My life is yours. I have laid it down. You do whatever you want to do with it. And I will praise you all the while. Will I get frustrated at times and probably whine and moan and complain a little bit? Sure. But I'll repent quickly because he keeps me on a pretty short leash. <laughs> Usually a sentence or two and he's like, mm, jerks me back, you know. We're humans, right? But we have to always be looking to have his heart. All right, would you stand with me so I stop talking? Church, it is time for us to take inventory. It is time for us to ask ourselves, what in my life has eternal significance? Are there things in your life that have eternal significance? If there's nothing in your life that you could say, yes, this is eternal, then we need to re-vision. We need to refocus our life. There's nothing wrong with having things in our life that are frivolous and trivial and don't amount to anything. We all have those. But there has to be eternal significance in our life. The sum total of our life cannot be all the trivial, all the frivolous. God has designed us to have an eternal impact on this world. And are there things in our life that have eternal value? I would ask you today, how is your vision? Do you feel like you're nearsighted right now? Is it all about you and what's right in front of you and getting through today? Would you say maybe you're even blind to some degree to, to what's going on? Have you forgotten God's faithfulness and his goodness in your life? I want to pray for us. And as I pray, I just, I just ask you to open your hearts and receive. And just be honest with God. He just wants us to be transparent and honest before him. The answer is to fix our eyes on Jesus. That verse in Hebrews that I used last week says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter. He's the beginner and the finisher of our faith and everything in between. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it goes on to say, consider him. Powerful words, two very powerful words. Consider him, church. Consider him who endured all this stuff from sinful men. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you feel like you're weary today? You feel like you've lost heart? Consider him. You feel like you're too focused on yourself? Consider him. You feel like you're giving into your cravings? Consider him. Consider him. Don't run from him, run to him. 
He's the only one that always, always forgives, that always, always opens his arms and receives us when we come back to him. Not every, humans won't do that every time. But him, you never have to worry about it. The word is clear. It's clear that he will always receive us when we come to him. Let us pray. Father, we love you today. God, I thank you today. I thank you that you are merciful, Lord. I thank you that you are full of grace. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our lives. Church, I just encourage you today to respond by holding up your arms or holding out your hands or closing your eyes or looking up or whatever it is just to respond in some way to him today. God, we honor you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you give us your divine nature so that we don't have to live this life on our own, that we don't have to try to be effective and productive on our own because the deck is stacked against us. But your divine nature, your Holy Spirit in us, Lord, as you take us through this wilderness, God, I believe that your power is going to be manifested in our lives. I believe that the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be manifested in each and every one of us as we walk through this wilderness. Lord, we've been tempted by the devil during this season. We've been tempted by our flesh. We've been tempted by society. But God, we want to come through glowing. And Lord, where we've made mistakes, where we have given in, where we have failed and fallen short, God, we just ask you to forgive us. God, would you forgive us of all of our shortcomings? And would you come and fill us to overflowing? God, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we would have eternity in our hearts, that we would be fixed on you and not on ourselves. Lord, that we would not give in to our cravings, that we would not focus solely on comfort, but that we would be given to you. God, we deny ourselves today. We deny ourselves. We lay down our lives for you, for your glory, Jesus, for you and you alone are worthy of our praise. God, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in our lives. Bring your kingdom to this earth through us, Lord Jesus. Through us, we give you all the praise, all the thanks, all the glory, all the honor. It's all yours, Lord. It's all yours. And forgive us for when we have taken it for ourselves, God. We give it all to you today. Help us to continually, always give it to you. You are the only one worthy of it. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, I just, I just encourage you, let's just worship him for 30 seconds. Just give him your best worship of the day. We worship you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, you're so worthy. You're so worthy. Thank you for being so merciful, so loving, so compassionate, so kind in our lives, God. We lay down our lives for you, Jesus. You are worthy, Lord. We know that you can move mountains, but you've done it before and you're gonna do it again, God. We thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You are good. You are good. You are good. Hallelujah. We bless your name, Lord. We bless your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you love the Lord today? Amen. He is so good, church. He's so good. Trust him through this season. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Even when you can't understand, when it feels like he let you down, he didn't. Trust him. Consider him in all ways, in all your ways.